Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for this Friday, February the 5th. Coming up, reopening Ontario businesses. We'll talk about that with the Retail Council of Canada. Plus, Canada's cruise ship ban has been extended to 2022. And we're joined by the leader of the NDP party, Jugmeet Singh. All coming up right now on the pod. Hello, Friday. How are you, Friday? It is a Friday, February the 5th, 2021. Weekend is looming. And it's Super Bowl weekend. We got the Bucks versus Casey. We got Brady versus Mahomes. And there's uh, some concern out there that the Super Bowl, maybe just maybe, it could become a super spreader event. So just off the top, a friendly reminder to everybody to, uh, what do they like to say in the uh, beer ads that you'll see all over the place in the Super Bowl? Enjoy responsibly. Right. Please enjoy the Super Bowl responsibly uh, this year and watch only with members of your own family, immediate household, in your own home. What happens if they want to watch something else? You know, that's a good question, Rob. <laughs> oh, that's a good. Is there anything else, really, uh, other than the Super Bowl but, on Super Sunday? But you might have family members that only want to watch the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, they're all part and parcel of the game. It's true, it's true. Here is the one thing about all of us doing the right thing and the responsible thing and watching the Super Bowl from our own individual homes. I can hardly wait on Monday to hear what the ratings are going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah, because people aren't pooling together to watch, so you'd think they'd be crazy. They're going to be, I mean, they're massive usually. Yeah. Yeah, massive usually for a Super Bowl. I can only imagine if everybody is at their own home watching on their own TV what the number is going to be. It's going to be mind-blowing. But first, a ray of hope, perhaps, for this province's small businesses. The province's labor minister saying that there will be an announcement from his government, from the Ontario government, regarding details on reopening the province's economy coming sometime next week. Now, no further details were given by Monty McNaughton, but we do know that the state of emergency in this province is set to expire this Tuesday. In fact, the Ford cabinet meeting about that very thing this afternoon as we talk. And let's talk a little more about all of this with Carl Lindler. He is the senior VP with the Retail Council of Canada, and he joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Carl, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, first of all, uh, what are you hoping the Retail Council of Canada, what are you hoping, what are you expecting to hear from the Ford government uh, next week now that they've uh, previewed that an announcement is forthcoming? Well, there may be a gap between our hopes and, and our expectations, but, you know, in general, we, we're, we're seeing things trend a bit more positively. Um, We are hoping that what the uh, province will do as the last jurisdiction that will be shut down, uh, locked down at that point, um, will be to have a broad reopening, essentially based on a 20% capacity um, for these non-essential stores that have been locked down uh, through the piece. And and so that's our our primary hope. We, We don't think it's a you know, a time for tinkering at the edges with definitions of essential. We think it is time to try and diffuse uh, shoppers as amongst, uh, you know, the broad range of stores, but on a, on a kind of low uh, constrained capacity basis. Okay, so is it your position, the Retail Council of Canada's position, that it's time that the state of emergency in this province is indeed lifted come Tuesday? 
Well, I, I mean, I can't speak to every aspect of that, but certainly as it bears upon retail, um, you know, we think it is timely. Uh, there are a few reasons for that. I mean, one is that retail is an exceedingly small source of uh, COVID transmission. It's it's varied at its peak from anywhere from one in 180 cases to one in 800. And the model we're proposing should reduce it still further than that. So obviously these are, you know, these are based on, on tight capacity constraints, you know, very strict observance of, uh, of public health rules and sanitization protocols and so on. So we think that that's the right way to go. We've been seeing something to that effect since, um, you know, since late last year, but there's now a bit of data out from Stanford University studies uh, on the medical side, leave, al leave alone the economic issue, that actually supports the notion that having fewer people in more stores is much safer from a public health perspective than having a lot of people in a limited number of stores. Yeah, talk to us a bit more, if you could, Carl, about that study you've cited from Stanford and what you're urging the government to do, which, in your words, is strike a balance between public and economic health. Uh, what exactly does that look like? So the Stanford study looks at different levels of intensity in retail. So, for example, 50% capacity um, reduces the number of case infections by 59%. But then when you get down to the number um, we're proposing, which is a 20% capacity limit, you're looking at 13% of the cases you would expect at normal occupancy. So it's a big deal. Uh, they've, you know, looked extensively across the U.S. And, you know, ultimately the virus doesn't have a flag. I mean, the, the basic uh, medical constructs are the same either way. And we know that uh, that the province has taken note of that study, uh, whether that will ultimately guide their thinking, I guess, We'll find out next week, but I, I think they've been very interested in the in the data that the Stanford researchers uh, found that suggests that it is much better to have fewer people in more places. And of course, if you think about it, that's exactly what the province has done around other things in the past, like restaurants and so forth. They've tried to push social distance and they've tried to put you know minimize exposure times. And of course, logically, leaving aside the medical evidence you get few, shorter exposure times and smaller crowds if you allow more entities to open. So essentially, would this be kind of like dipping our toe in? It would be a kind of wading into the uh, shallow end, this sort of reopening that a small business could reopen to 20% to capacity, and then we can see where we are, where we're going from there, have a look at the numbers uh, in a few weeks, and is 20% 20, 20 capacity, is that something that most small businesses, they, they could obviously manage when it comes to you know, social distancing, physical distancing inside their retail outlets? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, if you're a very small business, they may need to set some de minimis number of customers or something. But so it's not just a small business issue, but obviously, small businesses have suffered throughout this piece, particularly because they're not, you know, the big grocers and, 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 and pharmacies and, and big box stores that have been permitted to open. So we're particularly concerned about those. I mean, they're also vital from the perspective of your kind of streetscape in, in any town uh, or, or, or city. Um, and, uh, and of course, they typically small businesses haven't been able to rely upon the fact that they aren't shut down elsewhere because Ontario is the last remaining place where 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 stores are shut down. Um, and, you know, as Quebec has, has just moved or is moving um, and Manitoba has already moved, if you have stores across the country, at least you're getting some oxygen, you know, from some of the other jurisdictions. But if you're a mom and pop owner in Ontario, you don't have that, uh, 
you know, you don't have that sort of broader base. And so it is a particular problem for small businesses. You mentioned a second ago that this is under consideration by the Ontario government. Uh, have you, the Retail Council of Canada, others in the business community, uh, have you been at the table? Have you been uh, consulted? Are your ideas and voices, do you believe, uh, being heard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no physical table anymore, of course. Everything's by Zoom call and a telephone call. But sure. uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, typically when you're banging on the door and speaking through a megaphone, um, you're probably not winning. Um, when uh, the government is reaching out to you as often as you reach into them, um, that shows that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're really sharpening their pencils and they're thinking hard about it. And certainly, you know, we found the government to be very consultative over the last week to two weeks on, on these issues as they've, you know, looked at the case numbers come down. And, you know, they've obviously been reassessing things like school returns and so on. And, and we've been a big part of that, uh, you know, economic end of that discussion. So, uh, we, you know, obviously we're cautiously optimistic. Um, we're getting some signals, but we won't know definitively until Cabinet makes those final decisions. If it is not lifted, that state of emergency, which again expires come Tuesday, if small business has to remain closed for the foreseeable future in Ontario, uh, do you have any idea just how devastating that would be to small business? I mean, I think immense for small business and also immense for retail employees generally, who of course work in businesses of different sizes. There were statistics, Canada data out today. Um, there have been a quarter of a million job losses in Ontario and Quebec combined, even though jobs had uh, gone up elsewhere in the country. Uh, and 160,000 of those have been in retail. Uh, so you get a pretty clear picture from the job side. And then, yeah, a lot of small businesses are just, you know, clinging on by their fingernails. I think that uh, an, extended, uh, an extended closure would, uh, you know, would toll the bell, unfortunately, for a great many of them. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, without, uh, with obvious, it's obvious we're going to be watching this uh, with interest uh, into next week. And Carl, really appreciate the uh, time and the insight uh, here with us on this Friday. Have a happy and safe weekend. Thanks for having me on and enjoy the Super Bowl. All right, you as well. Carl Littler is the Senior Vice President with the Retail Council of Canada. Well, Canada, we have extended our cruise ship band, or band, band, sorry, band, not band. No, the band will not be playing on any cruise ship anytime soon, as uh, they've now been banned into 2022. And for more on this, joined by our travel expert, Marty Firestone's on the line and joins us here on Global News Radio. Hey, Marty, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay, thanks. Uh, this news, considering where we are with the uh, pandemic, really not that much of a surprise? Not at all. I think out of that entire uh, travel industry segment, the cruise ship, Part of it is probably the one that's going to get hit the hardest, and this is a perfect example of how it's going to happen. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, we've talked about this time and time again during the uh, pandemic, and particularly when it uh, first uh, arrived here kind of uh, in March, just how, you know, a lot of these cruise ships uh, essentially were kind of those floating Petri dishes, right? And uh, I think about people that were uh, trapped on those ships, couldn't get off uh, for some time uh, as well. I mean, they continue to be a significant health concern. Yeah, the, the stigma, just as you say, a floating petri dish is and will still remain long after we're all vaccinated and traveling again. I think that would be the last, how can I say resort, not resort, but the, the last place you'd go is on a cruise ship in the, in the near future after being vaccinated. Yeah, just how tough is this news for that industry? I mean, it's a good point you bring about uh, bring up 
regarding whether or not people are going to feel safe anytime soon. I mean, we talk about that uh, with going to concerts or sporting events and even back into, you know, dining and restaurants. Uh, the cruise ship industry, they really have got an uphill battle, it seems. Yeah, and, and not only the cruise ship industry, the, the collateral damage that's going to be for the, the ports, like, you know, New Brunswick, even our Atlantic provinces, there are many a cruise that would come from the eastern side of the U.S. that would end up going up this side and making stops. That's going to be just uncharted territory, the hit they're going to take at this point. You know, that is a very good point and maybe something that is overseen when it comes to this, right, Marty? I mean, for anybody who has been on a cruise, I mean, one of the reasons you go on them is to get off the boat and to see several different cities or uh, venues in a week or two and when you think about uh, I don't know, a caribbean cruise just what sort of hit those ports of call some of those towns and cities uh, have taken and are going to continue to take i mean it is astronomical when you start considering uh, the damage here oh huge restaurants that are in those ports uh shopping duty free i mean th- this is just massive impact off the ship yet alone on the ship in these countries for sure All right, meantime, let's uh, move from uh, boats back to uh, planes, because uh, we're also hearing that the Canadian airline industry this afternoon, Marty, asking some uh, questions of the uh, Canadian government. As we know, they've all uh, granted their uh, flights. We talked about that when it was announced uh, last week to uh, sunny destinations. But now these airlines are asking for some uh, clarity when it comes to uh, when vaccinated Canadians, Marty, can once again get back on their planes. Yeah, I... I don't think the fact that you had a vaccination is going to solve the problems for immediate travel. And I think that's what the airlines are getting at now is, is when everybody has the vaccination, can they travel again? And it appears the, the government is not giving that that vote of approval. And uh, there will be problems because there'll still be a lag even after that. And then also identification of how you got that vaccine. Is there going to be this, you know, what do they call it? The passport that's going to have a stamp on it that you receive both shots. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out. Sure. But you don't think that once, uh, you know, the majority of Canadians or many of us are uh, vaccinated, that uh, that should be a green light for the airline industry to uh, resume flying? Yeah, you would think so. But, you know, in Canada, especially, look what we're facing now. I mean, best at September, if even that, and people are talking even into 2022. So did the airlines really have that luxury of saying everybody will be vaccinated by mid next year? And OK, then we can start flying again. That's a long way off for them to be surviving at this point. Right. Can they make it a condition of travel? Do you know? Is that something they're asking of the uh, government that you do have one of these quote unquote vaccination uh, passports, as, as it were, that uh, uh, maybe the majority of the country hasn't been vaccinated, but you've been lucky enough to get to get one. So you should be able to get on a plane. Yeah, I, there's no nothing carved in stone yet how this is all going to be treated. And then you're going to worry about, is this a legitimate document or does somebody get it done? I mean, it's just, it's so fluid that we never know what tomorrow brings in this case. And one other point about the airlines, they stopped those Caribbean flights in Mexico, but there are still U.S. carriers leaving Toronto and heading to these destinations. So we're sitting idle on our planes, and yet these U.S. carriers are still going down to Cancun, Puerto Vallarta, and all over the place. Is that something do we know the government is looking at? Because I've seen those headlines as well, that there are some Canadians uh, finding ways to get to those sunny destinations. I mean, if there's a will, uh, I guess there's a way. This seems to be a bit of a a loophole, and one, do you think, is going to close? 
Yeah, it, it has to. That That's one loophole. And the other one, of course, is the land borders not requiring the three-day hotel quarantine whenever that does come into play. So you are just you are just inviting people to drive cars home or rent cars and go over the border and avoid the three-day stay. So, you know, consistency is the key here, and they just don't seem to be consistent at this point with what they're doing. Yeah, and just finally, Marty, can you provide any clarity? I understand today is a day one of the Canadian Airlines uh, stopping those flights to sunny destinations, but if the quarantine orders, uh, they haven't necessarily gone into effect yet, right? That uh, you, when you arrive back here in Canada, you've got to go to one of these government-approved hotels? Yeah, not at all. Uh, the talk was as of Thursday, February 4th, that was going to happen when they went down to four airports. Even in uh, speech today, Trudeau said uh, coming in the next few weeks, like it's just there's there's no clarity and we have no idea when that three day uh, hotel quarantine is going to start. All right, Marty, appreciate the time and the update as always. Have a happy and safe weekend. You too. Take care. There's travel expert Marty Firestone with us on this Friday afternoon. Well, Jagmeet Singh with an announcement today regarding long-term care that he says will prioritize both our seniors and those that look after them. And the NDP leader joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Mr. Singh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. All right, let's get into this uh, proposal, uh, if we could. Your party calling first and foremost for national standards when it comes to long-term care. We've heard that term bantied about uh, quite a bit uh, during the pandemic. What exactly do those look like? Well, what we found, one of the most important things that we found is that the quality of the condition of workers are directly related to the quality of care that seniors receive. So some of the findings have been minimum hours of work, not just minimum hours of pay, but work, specifically making sure personal support workers get paid enough so they can work in one facility only to get paid a living wage. We saw the horrible story of a worker that worked at a long-term care home that couldn't afford a place to live when was living in a shelter, in a homeless shelter in Ottawa. Uh, we know that uh, seniors have been bearing the brunt of this pandemic, and the more we can do to prevent seniors uh, getting sick and dying, the better they deserve it, nothing less. And so uh, the quality of care is something we're really going to stress. All right. And you're not only when it comes to national standards, uh, looking at uh, personal uh, support uh, workers, but a number of factors. And all of those, as I understand your proposal, would be tied to uh, federal funding. So long-term care would have to meet those standards on a regular basis in order to qualify for the funding. Is that correct? Right. What we want to do is we want to tie in long-term care and home care to the same principles that govern the Canada Health Act. Those same principles are what is the foundation of our, of our universal healthcare system. The idea of, of care being accessible, publicly administered, transferable, uh, that it is something that everyone can have at the highest quality across this country. The other big thing that we push for is to remove profit from care. We've seen so many horror stories in for-profit long-term care homes where they care more about the bottom line, making money, than caring for seniors where there are just deplorable conditions because of that cost-cutting and profit-making motive. It has resulted directly in horrible conditions for our seniors. That was my very next question. There is, as we all know, a disproportionate number of deaths, sadly, in private long-term care homes. Is it time, then, to end for-profit long-term care? Absolutely, without a doubt. This is probably the the biggest, next to the, the condition of workers, the, the biggest push that all the experts across the country are saying is the evidence has become overwhelming. It's not just slightly better. It is overwhelmingly better if people are in a not-for-profit care home. So for-profit care homes directly mean 
seniors get more sick, sick more often, and they end up dying. The conditions are horrible. When the military was called in in Ontario and Quebec, the horrible stories that they, they saw and, and shared were from the for-profit centers where the worst conditions, syringes being reused, medication that was outdated and expired being used, just deplorable conditions, and this cannot continue. Our seniors deserve a lot more. A lot of these problems are long-lasting. They were years and years of cuts from both conservative and liberal governments at the federal level has starved our healthcare system, and long-term care has been in a crisis for a while. But COVID-19 and the pandemic has definitely exposed that crisis. Yeah, have you spoken to Prime Minister Trudeau about this and about your proposal? Is he on board? Do you feel, Mr. Singh, as if there's a real appetite to get something done here and for change? Well, so far, uh, Justin Trudeau hasn't shown the leadership. He's kind of wanted to just stand back and, and rely on jurisdiction, saying it's not my jurisdiction. But I don't think that's good enough. The families I've spoken with who've lost loved ones, who have loved ones in long-term care, and they're not getting the care they deserve, have told me, They don't want to see excuses. They want to see leadership and they want to see action. So we can absolutely respect jurisdiction, but still provide leadership to get this done. Tommy Douglas was a federal New Democrat leader who pushed for universal health care, and we were able to achieve it. It took federal leadership in many cases to bring in real change. We can do it now. We can provide that leadership, work with provinces. But so far, Justin Trudeau hasn't shown that, that commitment. Well, as we all know, of course, uh, Mr. Trudeau and the Liberals are in a minority situation. And Mr. Singh, he counts on your party's support to prop his government up. Is your support of his government dependent on this moving forward and finally acting and we see some real change for once in long-term care? Well, we want to see that real change, and, and we've been fighting for that change. And using our position in this minority government during the pandemic, we doubled CERB, we brought in paid sick leave, we're able to get help to students, and we increase the wage subsidy. These are victories for people we were able to achieve. We want to use our position to continue that fight for long-term care, similarly get in some changes. But right now, Justin Trudeau wants an election. He is, he is making, it, making it very clear that he's looking for an excuse to go to an election. So we're saying at this point, the only priority for Justin Trudeau should be to focus on getting the vaccine to everyone, making sure seniors are protected, making sure we have paid sick leave available, not organizing or planning for an election. So it's really going to come down to what Justin Trudeau wants because he's made it clear he wants an election. We don't think that's the right thing to do. Mention the vaccine. Also in the news, the Prime Minister has apparently rejected a call from the premiers to release details of Canada's vaccination contracts. Uh, Mr. Singh, do you think Canadians, do they have a right to see those? Without question. There is no justification for the Prime Minister not disclosing the details there might be certain portions that need to be blacked out or need to be, uh, you know, shielded. But the other countries have done exactly that. Other countries have disclosed the contracts. You can look at them in the United States. They've shared that information. Australia has done so. So there's really no reason why Canada can't also share it. And really, one of the biggest concerns I have with the vaccine rollout is the vaccine was a lot of hope for people. Like people were worried, they were afraid, and they were uncertain. And then the vaccines were announced, which gave people this glimmer of hope. But now delay after delay, changing stories around when we will have local production, the uh, continued uncertainty around the vaccines has really started to erode public trust. And we need people to have trust, but they can't if they don't know what's going on and they don't feel that the full uh, details are being shared with them. So we need more transparency. And there's no excuse for this. 
Just finally, the Prime Minister is confident, and he remains steadfast. Are you confident that we can still hit our goal of every vaccine for every Canadian who wants one by September? I want us to be able to achieve that goal, and it is vital that we hit that goal. But the problem is that the Liberal government, Justin Trudeau, hasn't provided the roadmap to achieving that goal. He set out a goal, you know, a certain number of doses by this month or all Canadians by September. But to achieve that goal, we need to know, well, what are the steps that we need to achieve along the way? What are the weekly targets? What are the monthly targets? Without putting that information out there, I'm very concerned about those deadlines. And the final piece is local production. We've long called for having the ability to produce vaccines in our country. We're one of the world's largest economies, but countries that with far smaller economies are producing the vaccine in their own country. Mexico, India, Argentina. There's no reason why a country as, uh, as, as significantly developed and as such a large economy as ours could not have the capacity to make this vaccine in our own country. This is where Justin Trudeau has failed. The Conservatives were the ones that sold off our, our manufacturing capacity. The Liberals had decades to bring it back and had at least a year now to reinstate it and haven't done so. Mr. Singh, I have to leave it there for now. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday. Have a safe weekend. Thank you, sir. You too. All right. There's Jagmeet Singh, leader of the federal NDP.